in Enry. And I want to show you a few... Fo- oh, let's go back one, please. Okay, so this is uh, adult Sunday school this morning at about 7.45 in uh, Enry. And our team is there. And uh, let's go to the next one. There's the uh, children's Sunday school this morning. And the next one there. So this here is um, where the Grace Baptist Church is going to build a school for kids ages uh, I think kindergarten through fourth grade. This is the back end of the, of the compound. If you've been to Henry, it's a walled compound. Uh, but this is where some of our money is going to, to reach this, this city of Henry. Uh, so I think Chris said there are 79 kids enrolled in this. So right now they're meeting in the church building, and eventually they'll have a building built here, and it'll be a school. And this is some of our, our teams, uh, some of the ladies here, uh, Maddie Brand, uh, Amber Bailey, and um, Isabel Christensen. And then the girl there is, I think her name is Fredline. She's one of the, um, one of the orphans, and she's grown up, and she's there to translate. So that's, that's the team. So that's just a, a quick update about what's happening in Haiti. They're meeting right now, and and uh, Justin Long is preaching today from, uh, I think, Hebrews 10, Chris said. So that's what's going on. So we are going to dismiss Children for Children's Church. And they can follow Mr. Alderman and crew. And that's ages uh, 4 through 1st grade. You can head out this north door. So if we've not met, I'm Pastor Nathan Brandon, the senior pastor here. I, it's, uh, it's easy to take things for granted sometimes. Uh, I see we have some familiar faces here today. The Baylors are back in town. Good to have you folks here. And I think uh, Jason Whitrip is here. Jason, are you, where are you at? There he is. Okay. Don't try and keep that low profile. It ain't going to work, buddy. So uh, this week, my daughter Bailey and I were driving down from Pine Island on Highway 52. And I'm driving, and I'm in the middle lane. And all of a sudden, somebody just pulls right in front of me without signaling. And, of course, I have a few choice words as far as just saying, you know, I don't mind that you get in front of me, but I don't have the ability to read your mind. And so this kind of degenerated into a, a, a gripe session between my daughter and myself about what we don't like people do, you know, on the road, you know, and we were easy to find those things. Obviously, for me, one of my pet peeves is when people cut in front of you and they don't signal. And and Bailey's, uh, interestingly enough, is just the opposite. Because you know what I hate? I hate when somebody leaves their signal on forever and they don't turn. And apparently, she was in a situation where she was getting ready to turn into traffic, you know, and someone was signaling left like or like they're going to turn, but they didn't turn, and they kept going. If she hadn't, you know, just stayed where she was, probably could have run into that person. Well, so interestingly enough, you know, we're going down 52, just kind of cruising along, and I get off at the Highway 14 exit, you know, to go towards Byron, and that's kind of kind of gradually slow. So I signal, you know, and we we're turning and turning and turning and turning. We get finally on Highway 14. If you know, that's not a hard right angle, right? It's kind of a gradual slope, as I said. And guess what? My turn signal didn't go off. 
It just kept going and going and going. He says, Dad, you're doing it. I said, I am. It's just pointing to our, our human nature, isn't it? It's so easy to find fault in others in what they do on, on traffic and just in life in general, isn't it? It's our human nature. We're able to find the fault in others. Jesus has been talking to us in what I call the Sermon on the Plain. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to Luke chapter 6. And he's bringing out the values of his kingdom. A kingdom that is born in the hearts of people, not necessarily an earthly kingdom or an earthly government. Yes, it will be an earthly kingdom and an earthly government one day, but he wants to start in the hearts of men and women. And Jesus offers a different response in dealing with the faults of others than our own that we naturally want to bring about. And it usually starts with a generosity of grace and mercy. That's a good starting point. And then looking to Jesus, our master, and desire to be like him in how we respond. And then, even at the end, a call for self-examination. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 37 here in Luke chapter 6. These are Jesus' words. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust that is in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will clearly, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig into God's Word today. So, Lord Jesus, even as we read these words, uh, we feel your conviction, and we know we are inconsistent. We know that we do not often display the grace that you've given us. But would you open our eyes to see? Would you correct us where we need to be corrected? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? And would you help us to keep looking to you, Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has made a way and the one who has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us as you continue to make us more like yourself. So open the eyes of our heart to what you have to say to us in your word. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Well, if you're with us last week, you probably might notice that we actually went over these first two verses of this passage, verses 37 and 38. They were part of a, the sermon where Jesus is challenging us to love our enemies, 
to love our enemies. And we wrestled with Jesus' words and noted that one of the truths that even, you know, even motivates us to attempt doing this is that God has loved us first, even when we were His enemies. The Apostle Paul comments on this in Romans 5.10. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Folks, that's good news. That's good news. That's the gospel. That God's primary desire is not to come to judge and condemn us and destroy us, but rather He has come looking for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be reconciled to Him and to one another. And that He paid the price for our sin and rebellion through His death and resurrection. And He conquered sin to show that we can have an eternal hope and an eternal future with Him. But these verses I really view as what I call transition verses. From dealing with our enemies, people who we seem to be perpetually in conflict with, you know, there's, a, there's something that, that doesn't seem to be you know, removed, a permanent conflict, to everyday people with whom we have conflict or we don't have conflict with. But we see their faults and they see ours. But again, Jesus paid the price that we might rightly relate to one another. And in this part of the sermon, he calls us to rightly do so. So we're going to start out with these first two verses in what I call just a case for grace. Again, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, these commands to not judge and not to condemn does not mean that we abandon all moral or uh, spiritual discernment. In fact, oftentimes people quote these verses when we call them to any sort of, of, of godliness or, you know, helping, challenging their unbridled self-indulgence. But rather it is removing ourselves from being judge and jury and executioner over those we perceive who might be harming us and or doing wrong in general. We leave that to God who judges perfectly with equity. The call is to give Give away the right to judge. Give away the right to condemn. And to give forgiveness, to be rich in mercy. And by the way, mercy is never deserved. Mercy is never deserved. In doing so, though, it's to put oneself in a place to receive mercy yourself in an overflowing manner. Again, verse 38, give, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The promise of receiving mercy and a reward overflowing, overflowing proportions. But with the measure that's measured to us. Let me say this as well. 
And I'm just speaking to you who are believers, who've been walking with Jesus for a while. I think sometimes when we encounter somebody who is not following Christ, and they're not acting in a biblical way, they're not acting in a, a Christian way per se, I think sometimes we as Christians are surprised. We kind of drop our jaw and go, why? Well, they don't have the biblical framework. They don't have that view. And folks, whether we like it or not, we are living in more of a, a post-biblical United States. A post-biblical view of things. And so it's foreign to them. So we shouldn't be surprised when they act like sinners. Different than what the, the Bible says. And in fact, I'm, I'm in a group of pastors where we're just trying to figure out how we can best effectively reach the next generation. And we're reading a book called I Once Was Lost. It's a, it's a book about reaching postmoderns. It's a book about re reaching millennials. And they talk about five thresholds. And the first threshold a lot of millennials got to get past is, do I trust you? Do I trust you, Christian? Do I, I trust you to share my life? Are, are you a trustworthy person? Are you going to judge me? Are you going to condemn me? Or are you going to show real care and concern for me, regardless of whether I know how to keep those rules or not? See, because the first... The first question is not about their sexuality or whether they drink too much or whether they swear like a sailor. The first question they need to deal with is, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? Once Jesus gets a hold of their hearts, those things will come into place. But sometimes we want to go after the behavior. Rather than going after, you know, hey, let's talk about who Jesus is. And what are the ramifications of following him? If we shake our head in disapproval, huh, probably not going to get too far. The question they're asking us, too, is they're looking into our lives, and they're watching us, folks, is what difference does Jesus make to you in your life and how you treat people? Do you have a genuine concern for people? Or do they think you're dealing with them as, as a project? So just be aware of that. They want to know that Jesus makes a difference in your life and how you care for them and how you live your life. We're trying to win people to Jesus, not to a lifestyle. Again, I'm not saying we ought to approve ungodly behavior. All that I'm saying is we just need to be careful not looking at people cross-eyed or dropping our jaw when they're doing something that seems to be contrary to the Word of God. Which leads to the next thing that I think Jesus is bringing forth in this passage, verses 34, 39 and through 40. What I call modeling the Master. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
I don't know about you, but when I first look at this parable, I go, what are you saying, Jesus? I mean, I kind of get it, but I don't, I don't figure out how these two things fit together. Well, let's, let's just talk about the blind leading the blind. First of all, this comes out of just the, what's going on in, in that Palestinian area at this time. It's a very arid area, and people had to dig wells or dig cisterns to find water, okay? And they didn't always necessarily have this OSHA-approved barricade around it, you know? And when the thing was done, it would be abandoned. If you're walking at night or if you're blind, there's a possibility you might fall into that thing. You have to be able to see. That's what Jesus was talking about, at least on a practical level. And here's the point. In order to lead another spiritually, you have to have your own eyes open spiritually. Or else you might fall into a pit yourself that you do not see. Jesus has to open your eyes, otherwise you end up being stuck. And remember, Jesus is primarily talking to those who are his 12 disciples and other people who are thinking very seriously about following Jesus. People from the Galilean region all the way out to Tyre and Sidon. So they're considering following Jesus very seriously. But then he says this, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus is actually saying something contrary to what most disciples of the time believed. You see, because you would find a rabbi who you thought had their act together, you would follow them, get fully trained, and then you would hope one day to surpass them, to have a greater impact, to, have a, to be a greater rabbi. That's the way of the world, and that's what the ambition was out there. But this rabbi is different. This rabbi is God who is put on flesh. It's really difficult to surpass a rabbi with those credentials. But also, once this rabbi opens your eyes to the fact that you have no right standing before a holy God in yourself, there's nothing that you can do. What he shows you is what, <laughs> how short you fall, that you're lost in your sin and rebellion, and the only hope that you have is actually to put your trust in Him. Obviously, at this point in the, in the gospel story, Jesus has not died. He has not been resurrected, but that's what He's going to do. That's the price He's going to pay. He is our right standing before God. Before God. There is no other source. You are not going to surpass this rabbi. Your ambition cannot be to surpass Him. It can only be to be like Him. To be like Him. And how you treat others, in your character, what we live for. And ultimately, that's what the Christian life is, is to let Jesus live His life through you. The Apostle Paul, when saying Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I had been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I oftentimes pray that, that verse. I say, Lord Jesus, live the life in me that I cannot live myself. 
And that's what he wants to do. When he comes to dwell in us, he wants to live his life in us and through us. That people would see that we are like our master. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you have to let him turn on the light to see that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. And then you let him come in and change you and make you like him. You're not going to be greater than your master, but you can hope to be like him. And then the last section of this passage we're looking at today is what I call the man in the mirror. Verses 41 to 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to your own, the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, then you yourself will fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I don't know what you think about when you read these words. This illustration is it's just almost over the top. I mean, it's like this guy is walking around with this big old plank hanging out of his eye. I mean, it's crazy. Maybe to illustrate, I'm a, I, I need a volunteer. Joel, would you come on up here? I just I need a volunteer to help me out with this here. <clears throat> so, Joel, if you'll just stand right here, if you would, please. Thank you. Joel's one of our elders, good man. This is fictitious, okay, folks? Joel, <laughs> thanks so much for coming out and meeting with me. And uh, is, that, is, that, uh, is that some lint on your shirt? Well, anyway... Like I was saying, you know, I, I've been really worried about you and Kathy lately. And I just, I just feel like, you know, you are not loving your wife like Christ loves the church. Now, you know, who am I to judge? But, you know, I really, I want to I talk to you about this. And so, uh, as a brother, hold on. Excuse me for a second. Um, I got to take this, excuse me. Okay, yeah. What? Now? <sighs> Listen, I got things to do. I, I'm in a meeting right now. I told you never to call me, by the way, this time. Well, it's not my fault you got in an accident. Well, can you call a tow truck? How much? No, wait there. No, just wait there. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'll be there in about 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Okay? Yeah, love you. Bye, care. All right. Anyway, oh. So, end of illustration. Thank you. By the way, I will be offering a custom-made log eye on Amazon... So, okay. 
the theater of the ridiculous. Thank you very much. <laughs> Points out two things, right? Uh, first of all, they had this plank sticking out. First of all, there's just the issue of credibility, right? How am I going to help this guy when this problem, this log is sticking out, right? How, how am I going to help you? It's, it just, it's like, you know, I'm trying to give guy counsel on loving his wife when I myself am lo- not loving my wife. Um, and one of the biggest criticisms oftentimes of the church is that it's full of hypocrites. And sometimes that's a smokescreen to try and discredit biblical values, the idea that God has any claim on our lives. On the other hand, it's warranted at times when we talk about the love of Christ, yet our words and actions, how we invest our money, just how we live our lives betrays that value. Folks, I'm a... And, and no one's calling anyone to perfection here, so don't, don't hear that. But I'm a father of three daughters. I, I want to teach my children to, to love each other, be kind to each other, both in word and deed. But oftentimes, what you want to convey is more often caught than taught, right? And my, my daughters love to bring this story up, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So there's a time where we actually have a, a landline still in the house, right? And it's ringing, and I'm downstairs. It's ringing. Everyone's in the house. No one's picking it up. Second ring, third ring, fourth ring. And suddenly I just yell out in the whole house, Somebody get the phone! And I get to it, I pick it up, I say, Brand Residence, can I help you? My children love to bring that story up all the time. Because they saw the incongruence, how I was chastising all of them. Somebody get the dang phone. And yet I put on my pleasant voice when I picked it up, right? Sometimes it's more caught than time. And again, Jesus is working in each one of us to make us more like himself. But there needs to be a consistency. Second of all, we all have blind spots where we need to see clearly. You know, one of the blind spots I had as as a young man was being on time. Showing up on time. Until I got into ministry... I started leading things, and it would drive me crazy when I would be there and have expectations and people wouldn't show up on time themselves, right? And, and here's the truth. When you, when you lead, you have to be there on time to, to show that this is important or be there early and, and prepare. So, you know, this is, a, this is an area I, I grew in a lot more. And then when I was a worship leader in North Platte, I was bringing up this young man who was a college student, and he was always late to rehearsal, and I was always on him about that. And then when, you know, eventually he became one of my worship leaders. He was in in the rotation. And he came back to me one time and just said, I I can't believe that everyone's late to rehearsal. 
I said, okay, let's talk about this. And suddenly the light went on. He, he didn't realize that he had a blind spot himself of what he was modeling. I said, you know what? The reason people aren't showing up on time is because you're not on time. If you'll be on time and make that a value, then other people will respond to it, Lord willing. But you can't ask people to do what you're not doing yourself. We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And here's the other thing. Here's the challenge after you have kind of grown in some of those blind spots in those areas. One of the challenges of being part of the church for a long time is we get good at being good. We get good at being good. We get, be, get good at saying the right things, doing the right things, and it just becomes our habit when our hearts are totally in a, going in a different direction. And so we look at somebody cross-eyed when they come into church with shorts or they do something that we think... By the way, I'm not condemning anyone for that. I'm just using an example, all right? I'm going to tell you some churches that doesn't fly, but I'm just telling you. Um, you know, we, we, have our own, we have our own ideas about what's acceptable, right? And we forget... We forget that God brought us from another place and grew us. We have lost our compassion. We're blind to the fact that we don't see people with Jesus' eyes anymore. And we're really good at criticizing, finding fault to build ourselves up. Folks, being good at being good is not always a good thing. The law never saved anybody. The law never saved anybody. We are blind sometimes to the fact that you, I, everybody still needs Jesus. No matter how far we think we've come in our Christian walk. So let me just give you some practical guidance in dealing with our our blind spots. First of all, if somebody offends you or something shocks you, don't make your first response to be putting it on social media. Right? I, I see it all the time. Can't believe that person cut me off. Can't believe that, that barista you know, was snarky to me or whatever. No, just stop and just say, wait a minute. <laughs> Have I been there? Have I been like that? First of all, and then second of all, take some time. Take some time, maybe say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me. I think one of the challenges of our society right now is we're just going from one thing to another, right? And maybe tomorrow on Memorial Day would be a great day to say, you know, Lord, let me just take stock. Show me some areas where I'm out of sorts with you. Where I have some blind spots. And maybe even journal. And I know some people don't like that. And if that's not a tool for you, that's, that's fine. But I'll tell you something that's good about journaling. Usually my mind goes faster than I can write. 
But when, I, when my mind is going like that, I'm usually not completing my thoughts either. And I'm not usually thinking things through. Journaling helps you to complete your thoughts and think those things all the way through. Work through that. And then there's just the mirror of Scripture, right? Lord, how am I matching up to this? I don't know about you, but I, I find I'm missing the mark quite often. I'm grateful for Jesus. And then we need to find a friend maybe who's willing to tell us the truth. If you want to grow, find a friend and say, Hey, what are some areas where I have some blind spots? Find somebody who you trust. Find somebody who you know loves you. And then be prepared for a little bit of pain. But the scripture says in, in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Know that that person is not telling you those things to cut you down or to hurt you, but to bring those things out into the light and to help you grow. And then once you identify that, that blind spot, ask the Lord for help and maybe ask another for your help. And if you gain success, if you gain success in that blind spot, that's great. But don't be proud about that. Be humble about that. And be patient and gracious with those who may be struggling with that same issue. You know, what I usually get ang- most angry about are the things that I, have, I struggle with the most, right? I get on my kids for being unkind with their words. Sometimes I'm unkind with my words. We need to be careful. But we need to guard against the tendency to judge and criticize others, finding our significance and finding error in them to the point where we're blind to our own issues. At the end of the day, we're all still struggling with sin. We all need a Savior and we all need His grace. So let's be grace givers. Grace givers, because God has been generous with us. Let's pray that our eyes are opened and we'll be like Him in how we treat people. And let's be humble in how we take care of our own blind spots before we can effectively help others. Last of all, let's just keep looking to Jesus, the one who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me pray and then I'll ask the worship team to come and close us. So, Lord Jesus, um, again, would you give us grace to extend grace to others? And Lord, if there's somebody here who needs their eyes open to you, would you do that? Would you open their eyes to the fact that they need a Savior before a holy God? And those of us who have had our eyes open to know that, Lord, would you continue to make us men and women who are more like you, Jesus? Let us reflect to you, I pray. And Lord, where we have those, would you give us a a self-awareness and where we have those blind spots, would you help us to confess them before you and before others? And would you help us, Lord, to seek to remove those things before we'd help our brother or our sister? dealing with an area that might be a sliver in their own eye. But Lord, again, help us to keep looking to you and continue to make us men and women who reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. 
And it is in your name I pray these things, our Lord. Amen. Would you stand as we respond in worship? That's never failing. Let mercy fall me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation.
So may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. May he do so. God bless you as you go. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.